Welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is Senior Journalist Richard and Senior Editor Matt. And this week we're discussing two of the biggest new vehicle launches of the year. It's been a big week. We'll discuss some fast, fresh metal in the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with that futurist on a mission to make a buck in this week's Must Watch. <laughs> so stay with us. But first of all, we had some feedback after last week's episode. Of course. And we were really talking about, do we need performance SUVs? Because it would appear that the whole concept of a performance SUV is filtering down into the mainstream market. It's previously been the preserve of the Luxo brands, but mm-hmm. it's becoming much more mainstream with the likes of Hyundai N, uh, Volkswagens of various stripes. And we had a mixed bag in terms of response. For example, let's see if said, all caps, no, exclamation <laughs> point. Yeah, we don't need them. Um, but our mate, Peter Panousis, uh, said, short Pete. answer, short answer, yes. Long answer, hell yes. <laughs> so um, he's, he's right into it. He's, he's thinking a Hyundai Tucson N-Line, it's making him salivate profusely um it's top of his long and indecisive (coughs) list because as long as peter's been in touch with us he's been shopping for this that or the other so he says we'll be the first to know when he finally pulls the trigger so that's that's the two you get yes and yes and no so on the positive side jim danick says you know the tech needed to defy the laws of physics is becoming more affordable Mm -hmm. when you think about an elsd and adaptive suspension in a 40k i30n um, he still won't be trading in his Tucson and i30N for a Tucson N, but he, he's, that's a very good point that yeah. the stuff that you need to make a sporty SUV is just becoming more doable from a cost point of view. And the more expensive sporty SUVs are just getting better and better, better. and better. Like, yep. uh, Richard, you went to the launch of the uh, Audi RS Q3 and Q3 Sportback, and you can see Richard's mm-hmm. video review probably showing up there if you're watching on YouTube. Um, I had a very brief drive in the RS Q3 Sportback uh, the other day, and I was amazed by that car. I was just yep. blown away. It is it's so fast, it's so composed, it's so comfortable, it does what an SUV should do, but it also does what a sports car should do. It's fantastic. That's right. Yep. That, and that five-cylinder engine, oh. um, which, which, you, which you also get in, in the RS3, is excellent. It's, it's maturing like a, a fine wine. Oh, yeah. Engine. yeah. <laughs> it's almost like we now have SUVs are beyond the, the novelty phase and we're moving into the phase where uh, you know, almost a decade of technology and engineering is going into making these cars handle better well, and perform better. The ones mm-hmm. we talked about, we touched on last week, uh, still up in the stratosphere, is the mm-hmm. Cayenne and the Machan. You know, yeah. the, the Porsche's got its head around how to make these cars and they've become mm-hmm. Porsches now. They, they really feel mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So um, to that end, 88 MTB 88 said, performance SUV, bring it on. Uh, he says... Getting into a normal car at over six foot tall is getting harder as he ages. So he's just ready yep. to grease himself into an easy-to-get-into SUV and likes the idea of a performance one. Yep. Um, and David Burt makes the very logical point that the performance SUVs are an extension of prevailing vehicle tastes. You know, yep. performance sedans were a thing for a while, but they came after the coupe craze in the late 60s and, and 70s. And he says that a, a, it's a pity that go-fast wagons were a short-lived trend 
But we've yeah. got something to say about that when it comes oh, to yeah. cars in our garage um, yeah. in the not-too-distant yeah. future. Um, Causa Dutch says performance SUV solves the couple's negotiation, you know, SUV practicality versus a spirited drive, and says it worked for him when he bought his VF2 SS sport wagon. So oh, right. um, they mm. ended up with a wa- – what a, what a sweet car that is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Perfect family car. Oh, fantastic. Very <laughs> jealous. So uh, Corsa has solved that particular uh, arm wrestle. Eddie Fuentes says, I'm not sure how much disposable income you journos have, bracket <laughs> Steve Corby, because Steve had said, why not just get an SUV and then get a sporty car? You know, whatever you can afford. So um, Eddie's thinking, yeah, good for you. Maybe not for all of us. He makes a good point. Like if you Mm. think you could get a, uh, let's say a Tucson for, you know, 30, 35 grand um, and then spend 10 grand on an MX-5, like an early MX-5, then you're getting two really good cars. Or the new Tucson N, when it eventually lobs, if it eventually lobs, if it's mm. not just an end line, it's going to be more than 45 grand. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's true. Um, Jayesh Meta says, hello, Tools in the Shed. First episode, liked it a lot. Well, oh, thank hey. you very much, uh, Jayesh. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome aboard. <laughs> can, can I um, give him a toot? He says, um, <laughs> performance SUVs in cars in general, where do you drive them to get the satisfaction that you would like from them? You know, he lives oh. near Gympie Road in Brisbane with a 60 to 70 kilometre an hour speed limit, uh, lots of traffic and signals. Even when you get to the Bruce Highway, it's 100 kmh with no grace given on that speed. So yeah. that's, that's the limit. He used to live in Dubai where the limit was more 140 kmh and he thinks Mm. probably that's a little more sensible. Mm. But he raises the valid point, you know, Mm. when you get pragmatic about it, where are you going to use these cars? And it it was a theme that others kind of jumped on as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, does he he work for – my next question is, does he work for the Highway Patrol? I think he does. I think because... I think it's a sneaky message from uh, yeah. Queensland yes, I'll just be down the Bills there. line of road at three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you are in Brisbane, uh, Mount Nebo and Mount Glorious are, are pretty amazing roads, and you don't necessarily need to be going stratospheric mm. speed to get the True. best out of the car. So True. yeah, um, we were talking about sporty wagons. Jeff Stevens, who I suspect um, is or was in the UK, um, he had a BMW 335D Touring. Um, and nice. he's now in a Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, which he likes a lot, and he uses it to tow a caravan with. Mm-hmm. But he misses that that BMW's poke. You know, a more powerful, uh, sporty version of the PHEV would be great. But mm-hmm. uh, he fears he'll have to change makes as Mitsubishi's pulling out of the market in the UK. So that's why I'm uh, I'm guessing he's he's there. So yeah, yep. it's bad time, bad timing, I suppose. It- On the very negative side, Blake Swan. Hates wasteful SUVs, especially performance SUVs. He says it's an oxymoron, lowered, stiffer, and they have summer sport tyres, which takes away the off-road capability, but they weigh more and they have a higher centre of gravity. So he's just saying, look, stop buying soccer mom SUVs, (laughs) because I think Blake is uh, out of the US. We've we've discovered that before. I do do have to say, look, I, I am with Blake there look you, you you meet something like an rs6 avant and you realize wow you've got practicality and you've got performance you don't have that high center of mass that you would have you know yeah. in, in in an suv you know the, it's composed far better than an suv can be it handles better it's he's right he's absolutely right 
Yeah, I think. Mm. And look, the next one, the YouTube handle uh, gives it away. We've we've heard from this person before. HSV Commodore says, yeah. I honestly don't get why any person would buy a performance SUV. If you like driving, buy a fast sedan or fast wagon or hot hatch, right? Mm. So Oggy Oggy, no oi, oi, oi on the back of it. Oggy Oggy <laughs> came back to that and said, try the Audi RSQ8. You'll then set your HSV on fire because it's worse in every possible way. <laughs> well, an RSQA is a quarter of a million bucks. So but, it's one of it. Well, HSV Commodore came back and said, Oggy, Oggy, try the RS7. You'll burn your RSQ8 because it's better in every way. Oh, so a classic man. little uh, YouTube to and fro there. We'll love but then Teo Ryu, the street fighter, We've discovered before that Ryu is a Street Fighter character. Um, yes. Honestly, coupe-style SUVs are more hideous and disgusting than performance SUVs. So he's up the ante. He's just dead set against coupe-style SUVs, performance or not. So that mm-hmm. kind of came in. That's, that's where we draw a line under the feedback on that issue. But then um, we had TGV, the very fast train, his oh, first yes. comment. Um, um, are you guys forgetting the homegrown Ford Territory Turbo or its sister oh. FPV Territory FX6? which were performance mm. SUV-based. SUV yes. So, of course, they were for more or less um, a mainstream market, yep. very much the Ford product, FPV a, a little more premium. But, yeah, I'd forgotten about that, that Ford was a little way ahead of the pack. Yep. What uh, about the they produced um, those cars? The HSV uh, take on the Holden Adventurer. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, yes. Was it, a, yes. was it a Cross 8 or something? Or was there a one above that, an Avalanche or something like that? They did there a Pruden as well. The Avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they, yeah, 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 they were ahead of the time. Pretty ugly, though, by no. my recollection. No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> oh, the Goldman well, was it, a bit fugly. But in, yeah, a, in a yeah, similar vein, yeah. Lofty Visions, I love his name, Lofty Visions, yeah. says Subaru has effectively been a mainstream manufacturer of performance SUV for a long time. And he calls out the XT Forester, sadly yep. discontinued, mm-hmm. um, apparently due to low sales in the US. Um, glad to see there will soon be an Outback XT in Australia with the 2.4 Turbo 4 from the Ascent. Um, any news on the release date? US has had them for months. And yeah. Peter Painting actually responded, and he'd been inquiring, and says Subaru says early 2021. Um, yeah. th- there are, in fact, oil leak problems with that engine in the US, which oh. uh, may be slowing oh, things down. Yeah. So that's some, thirsty, that's some interesting that's sure. intel that I hadn't heard for one. Yeah. Wow. Now, we also touched on the worst cities in the world to drive in. Um, I actually nominated the island of Crete as being pretty bad. Um, had been driving mm. there, uh, much to my horror, in an old school, say, at Marbella. And seriously, my significant other and I were, were lucky to walk away from that one. But um, TGV, the very fast train, came back with a second comment and said, as for worst city to drive in, St. Petersburg, Russian Federation, Uh which is amazing. And John Schroeder said, comrade, did you enjoy the sights? (laughs) Um, He then then cites Napoli, as in Naples, as having a rare breed of lunatic, closely followed by some of the country roads in Portugal. Um, not, I haven't been on country roads in Portugal, I must say. I have. Um, <laughs> rural Italy, yeah. I mean, much yeah. of Italy driving is, is a bit of a contact sport. Um, yep. So you do take your life in your own hands. But Stephen just simply says Tasmania has the worst drivers. So, oh. wow, wow, he's got an axe, he's got an axe I, to grind there. I disagree. I think Tasmanian drivers are pretty good. Well, um, they've got some of the best roads in the oh, world. Do they ever? 
They you know, do. They drive 30. very fast in Tasmania as well, I've noticed. And like, the curious. speed limit is just a serving suggestion. <laughs> like it, it's, I've been well, doing the speed limit and had, like, a farmer go, wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, witness Target Tasmania. It's such a fantastic event, and it takes, a, it takes advantage of those wonderful roads that are yeah. down there. Driving holiday takes on a slightly different uh, hue when you're Ooh, in Tasmania. Yeah. Big time. Um, mm. Then in terms of general feedback, uh, Gradlin74 uh, said, I think it's the second time he came in, he, we were talking about charging issues when you've got an electric vehicle and you live on a street, street parking, you've got no way of charging the thing um, at home. You have to be looking for out um, mm. uh, other charges. And he said the same charging issues were in the London suburbs. Charging points were then put inside street lights or parking meters. Mm. Uh, instead of charging for parking, they allowed you to charge your electric vehicle on the understanding that you wouldn't be shopping for long. So um, that, that was the deal. Car companies charging extra dollars for Type 2 cables because Tom White last week had noted that on the GLC 300E, Merck charges you $540 for a Type 2 cable. It's an option. Really? Um, and Grudlin74 quite rightly says, well, that's making it harder for EVs to get off the ground when you're starting to yeah. you know, charge extra for what you would think are fundamental things like that. Yeah, definitely. There That's is a guy. Point. Now, I'm out the front in our family car, and there's a guy like three doors down, and he's just, they've just bought themselves a Tesla. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Model S, and they park it on the side of the road because they, they've got off-street parking, but it's a tiny little driveway. They've got no way of charging it. So right. I don't know whether, uh, you know, that they, he drives to work and charges it there, but it's always on the street. So, well, Steve, yeah. Steve Corby made the point last week that he lives in Balmain, an inner-city suburb in Sydney. And he said people are buying Tesla's hand over fist and yes. he's got no idea how they're charging it at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they maybe yeah. haven't thought it through because no. uh, it's just not easy to do. Yeah. I think uh, that maybe you're right, Richard. I think a lot of people do actually drive to work and charge yeah. at work. Um, and if you've got the money to buy a $150,000 Tesla, then there's a good chance that you've got a parking space at work and a PowerPoint nearby. <laughs> so, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Now, Gulam Dustgear uh, chucked us another 16 thumbs up uh, emojis for, for this week. So the Dustgear thumbs up tally, which I call the D-Tut, is now at 34. We've had 34 thumbs up from wow. uh, Gulam. So thank you very much. We'll keep it. an eye on that. Hammer Rocks finished, it, finished us off with Hammer. I just read Matt Campbell's article about Land Rover losing the court case to stop in EOS building the Grandier due to a breach of intellectual property. Is the judge serious? Uh, must have a deposit on one, just saying. And I've got to agree with him. I mean, Blind Freddy could see that that is a defender uh, in, a, in a slightly different guise. There's nothing, I agree with him totally, that you would mistake it for. Yeah, but can you, can you trademark the shape of a car? I'd oh, say so. Will, so. on the basis of that court case, no. Yeah. Uh, but, but you probably should be able to. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think it comes down to the finer details. Like you can tell, the Ineos is a it's a wider car. It's got different proportions. Um, sure, it is boxy, but so is yeah. a Jimny. So is a G wagon. So can is I, a Jeep. Can know? I just can I just butt in there? Okay, buy that then. Imagine if somebody came up with a car which was the exact same shape as a nine eleven. <laughs> Yeah, like that would, would work. be well, strong. I think famously, right. wasn't it the Land Wind that was a, a complete yeah. ripoff of the Evoke? And yeah. uh, yes. JLR had a win there. So yeah. I suppose to answer the question, you can if yeah. it's close enough. So to your point, in four, there must have just been these differences such that 
a court said, nah, nah, not the same. But there, there was something the same as the 9-11. The original new Beetle was the same, right? <laughs> well, right? I mean, oh, it's the same, same company, actually. So what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Themselves? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's when you get your inter-departmental inter silos. Uh, that's when it really doesn't <laughs> yeah. work, when they're starting to sue each other. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah. this week, as I mentioned earlier, has been pretty huge because we've had two very significant launches of new product, mm. uh, both of them utes or pickups, if you're listening to us in, in North America and other markets, very important in Australia. The first one being uh, the Toyota Hilux, an updated version of that car, and the Hilux has traditionally been the number one selling vehicle in the country. Uh, I think it was knocked off last month by another Toyota, the RAV4, as the individual bestseller. But uh, typically, it's number one. And the Isuzu D-Max, uh, which has built a really strong reputation as a no-fuss, no-nonsense, hard workhorse, very popular, big fan base. And so an all-new version of that car is big news as well. Yeah. And um, we've been covering the price and the spec, and we're going to look at them in more depth uh, in the, the very short term. And M4, you've been trawling over the details. Can you give us a, a kind of a top line appraisal of where we're at with both of these? Yep. Okay. So there's an all new D-Max. This is from the ground up brand spanking new ute, but the Hilux isn't all new. It's heavily revised, but uh, still, you know, the same ute, but just refreshed halfway through a life cycle, essentially. So the new D-Max, uh, yeah, like I said, from the ground up, there's been a lot of changes for this ute. They aren't uh, necessarily that, um, I guess, what what did you say, JC? You called it a little bit more rough and ready, a little bit more... Yeah, yeah, um, I think no nonsense. A, a kind yeah. of no fuss, hard worker um, doesn't, doesn't uh, pretend to be anything other than a straight up and down uh kind of truck yeah and now they've sort of evolved their offering so essentially isuzu australia has still got the workmate sort of style uh entry level vehicles so the sx part of the range um so you can still get a cab chassis single cab uh, with tray back you can get space cabs you can get two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive uh and only one model in the entire d-max range doesn't have one ton capability so uh, that tells you that they are still focused on work um, they've got a three leaf rear suspension setup which they believe is the first of its type um, but you can get it in two different tunes so depending on which model you choose you can get a heavy duty tune or a standard tune um, but at the top of the D-Max range is an all new model which we haven't seen before it's called the X-Terrain and okay. it is more aimed at those buyers who are looking at a Ranger Wildtrak or a Toyota Hilux SR5 um, and have wanted something that offers them more, uh, I guess, of the comforts that you might expect from an SUV, but with the utility you get of a dual cab U. Yep. So you get a lot of the, um, I guess, the glitter bits that you didn't used to get in All any right. D-Max yep. that was available. And um, I suppose it's worth calling out that part of this may be underpinned by the fact that it's a shared model um, with the, the Mazda BT50. So Isuzu is picking up some of that stuff um, from Mazda in the whole process. Funny you say that because in the interview uh, that Tom, uh, our news editor, uh, wrote a story about was um, they basically didn't need Mazda at all for this program. So they could have gone ahead with just a new generation D-Max but it's Mazda that's the real beneficiary 
this whole tie-up. So um, Mazda gets a ute to add to its range, which it did with the same thing with the, the Ranger in the previous BT50. Yep. Um, but it's interesting to me that maybe this um, X-Terrain still has a bit of that, um, I guess, uh, it's the more work-focused, the more... Uh, maybe agricultural buyer, not necessarily the city slicker, because yep. the BT50 is probably going to have some things that the X-Terrain still misses out on. Things like it doesn't have any seat heating at all, um, which you can get in an SR5, you can get in a Ranger, um, and it doesn't have an auto-dimming rear vision mirror. You know, little strange missing items where you think that maybe Mazda will be able to say, well, Isuzu doesn't have those things. So maybe we can include them and offer that more luxurious ute yep. example that people might be looking for. Um, whereas when you get the uh, the new Hilux, the facelifted Hilux, which they claim in their press release as being better looking, which to me Well, seems... yes, how can, you, how can you state that categorically? It's each to their yeah. own, obviously. And, and how about all those uh, people who have shelled out 65, 70 grand on a Hilux <laughs> up till now going, whoa, what, was mine ugly? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's, a bit, yeah. it's a bit rude. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, a, so yeah, it's, it's got a face like a drop pie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can say that now, though. We can say that now. Now that's right, <laughs> but not only is it better looking, it's got more stuff. Obvious. Um, the the highlights had a pretty strong safety uh, standard approach for its model range up until um, this new one, and there's there's a little bit more safety that seems to have been added. But the thing with the D Max is that it is now, well, without question, it's the most comprehensively equipped. Right. Ute right. on the market when it comes to safety technology. Safety. Yep. Things like the AEB system has pedestrian and cyclist detection. There's uh, lane keeping assist that actually will intervene with the steering because it's an electric steering system. Where in a Hilux, for example, it uses the brakes, brakes. to clamp, right. clamp you on, on the side that you're creeping out of your lane and pull you back in. Yeah, it's got that. It's got um, rear cross traffic alert and blind spot monitoring. Um, yeah, a lot of this. Stuff is standard gear across which, the which entire range. Which has got to be range, huge. Got to be huge when you're talking about government and fleet buyers, right? Because 100%. so many of them are searching for five star safety. OHS says we've got to have five star before we can purchase your vehicle. Man, they've they've knocked that out of the park. Yeah, definitely. This is really big news because from you know. From, from what we know in the past, Isuzu's always been, as you've said, to the more agricultural ute, but they've charged almost exactly the same price as their competitors. So it's kind of like, oh, you get all this stuff in a, you know, a Hilux um, or a Ranger, uh, but you don't in an MUX or, or a, a D-Max, um, but they charge the same amount of money. Um, but now, like hearing that um, the D-Max is the most advanced in terms of safety and tech is kind of blowing my mind. That's yeah. not what, you, what we're used to. No, it isn't no. what we're used to. And that's, I guess that's the, the biggest change in this whole thing. And like you, you're right, Richard, that um, in, previous, in the previous years, mm. uh, you know, if you were buying, say, an LST D-Max, mm. um, you might be, you'd be paying more than a Triton. You wouldn't quite be paying as much as a, that's right. a Hilux yeah. or a Ranger. Yeah. But you wouldn't be getting anywhere near no, as much no. equipment. And, and there's I, been a lot of comment and criticism about D-Max uh, prices being so much higher than they were before, but you got to pay for what you get, you know? Yeah. Like, yes. And it's not, it's not 
setting any new benchmarks in terms of expensiveness, I, I don't think. I think it's um actually pretty well priced and specced across the entire range. But yeah. like you were saying um, before we went to air, JC, you were talking about uh, you know the entry level versions. They're not being a, a base model petrol low rider for yeah. twenty four grand like you get in a Hilux or a, a Navara. Um, and that's right, you can't get a petrol. And even the entry point uh, cab chassis two wheel drive SX is thirty two grand, which is more expensive than its rivals. You know, yep. four grand more than the equivalent uh, diesel version of a Hilux in that sort of specification. But you're getting more tech. You're getting more stuff. I was also going to say it comes down to what you want. It's kind of funny or ironic that um, here's Toyota claiming that its new Hilux is better looking. Um, <laughs> I, I think the D-Max looks pretty great, um, yeah. you know, in terms of the way they've massaged the, the look of that car and differentiated it from the BT50. Um, that's just to my eyes, but I think it's a good looking vehicle too. I actually think it's, a, it's, it's possibly better looking than the um, BT50. Um, mm. I can't I can't separate uh, the Mazda six grill or the CX oh, no. grill. It's up, just not my head and put it on a U. It doesn't look <laughs> know, right. Know. Like it's you know, <laughs> it just doesn't look right. I think the D Max look. It's it's a bit. The grill's a bit sort of um, you know, anime Pokemon sort of busy sort of over the top. But I think I think it looks tough. I think it does does what it, what it should do. It's going to be appealing. Yeah. I'm just concerned about the badge, though. The you know the nameplate. Are people? Do who buys who buys an Isuzu D Max? Oh, like, are they the same buyer as a Hilux? Or? I don't know about no. you guys, but anyone mm. I've come into contact. So this is a, obviously mm. a very scientific survey. But anyone that I've come <laughs> into contact with uh, that has an Isuzu D Max is a fairly pragmatic, mm. um, you know, straight up and down person. They they consciously don't want a flashy yes. vehicle. Yes, you know, they want something that is going to get the job done. Yes. Um, and so they'll still cater for those people, but mm. maybe they're just trying to rope in a few others and yeah. grow the elasticity of the Isuzu badge. Will How far can that brand kind of grow out into other parts of the market? That'll be yeah. tested by this yeah. car for sure. And this is the thing. The Isuzu brand means so much to the people who have owned one. Yep. Now yep. it's a matter of getting people in that haven't owned one yet. Yep. And that's exactly what they said at the at the presentation event that they held a couple of days ago, uh, that it is important for them to try and lure in uh, people who might be looking at a, a Ranger or, uh, or a Hilux or maybe yep. have had a, a less than great experience in any new ute and are looking yep. to change brands for, for something different. But Richard, um, I just can't wait for the <laughs> Thailand market to offer up some alternatives to the grills because oh, you just yes. know, like if you look at how, how many different uh, faces you can put on, for example, a Ranger in Australia, yes. but there is already, like this car's been on sale in Thailand for nine months already. So yeah. there's mm. already stuff out there to make your D-Max <laughs> stand out if you don't think it stands out enough already. Well, so. What I would say is I don't think there are any negatives around the Isuzu brand. It's not as if they're trying yeah. to battle a bad reputation. No, They've got no. a very strong reputation. And they're just trying to grow it into a slightly different part of the market. I, I don't see that as, yeah. uh, you know, insurmountable at all. Yeah, no, I was just wondering yeah. if there might have been a bit of brand snobbery. But, I mean, if anything, there shouldn't be. Because, I mean, what I find appealing about that brand is that they only make trucks and utes. And that's all they do. They yeah. don't make, you know, and, you know, and an SUV, which is based on the D-Max. They yeah. don't make sports cars. They don't make, you know, small hatchbacks. They don't yeah. make sedans. 
Yeah. So their concentration is pretty well focused on just doing one thing right. Um, yeah. So I reckon that's kind of appealing in terms of reliability. It's interesting. You make the point about MUX because, of course, the other side of the coin, the Hilux coin, is the mm. Fortuna, and there's a new version mm. of the Fortuna. But we're just focusing on the um, on the Utes uh, for today. Yeah. But the, but yeah. that's new news as well. Yes. Yep. And uh, there wasn't much to say about the next generation MUX at the launch. Right. Um, they're keeping very, very quiet about what that uh, vehicle might be and when it might arrive. Yes. Um, obviously, you know, that could bring up, uh, they've said no already, but, you know, you could envisage a, a Mazda CX100 maybe or something like that to sit right. at the top of the the SUV range, I'd like to see it. I think it'd be a really interesting thing, but I don't know whether there is a Mazda buyer out there who really wants to go off-road into yeah. the distance like like an yeah. MUX buyer does. <laughs> yes, and I also yeah. get the feeling that Isuzu may have a few MUXs, you know, kicking around the place that they need to move on. Um, yeah. I've seen a bit of activity out there in uh, in the media advertising-wise, so uh, it might be an orderly run out or it might be uh, we need to uh, just shift a few is, that are sitting around the place. Interesting to see, though, what's happening in that ute-based SUV segment because Fortuna has been such an underperformer for that brand because they've got a Prado that's better, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. in my opinion, is better um, yeah. for not much more money. Uh, yeah. So that's always been its biggest challenge. But now this new one has so much more tech. Uh, it's a much more approachable looking vehicle. And yeah. I think that that's going to do it some really good justice. Well, but if, you, if you're so dead set on filling every niche, ultimately, you just have this landscape that is completely full and overlaps uh, everywhere. So you, you've got to be ready for that, I suppose. Exactly. I remember asking um, someone uh, who came out from Ford USA um, about what, why was it necessary to have like, you know, a particular model we were talking about, and he was calling calling it shelf space. If we don't have a model on that shelf, it's, people will go somewhere else to buy it. Yeah, so sure. even if it's a small seller, they just need something there. And I think Fortuna yeah. is kind of like that. If, yeah. if they don't have a Fortuna, they'll buy an MUX or they'll buy an Everest. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, fair to say, uh, for everyone who's interested in our DMAX and Hilux coverage, there's going to be a lot. So yeah. <laughs> stay tuned. In the coming yeah. weeks, things are going to be busy. <laughs> We're looking at it six ways to Sunday. But oh, yeah. the, um, we will move on. So thank you very much for that, uh, Matt. Uh, no we'll move on to our own garage and the vehicles that have been residing within it. And we'll kick off with you, Richard. Yes. You've been in an entirely, well, not entirely, but, but quite a different kind of vehicle. Fill us in on what you've been steering. We yes. Also, and also what you're sitting in. Oh, yeah. So what I'm sitting in now is a, this is the family car. It's a 2017 <laughs> Skoda Rapid Spaceback. Um, I like lots of things about this car. Um, Legroom is good. I can sit behind my driving position, and I'm 191 centimetres tall. It's got a massive boot. It's, it's over 400 litres, and it's just a small little hatchback as well. 200 newton metres out of the little four-cylinder. Um, DSG, no problems with that so far. <laughs> um, it's been no it's, it's pretty good i actually enjoy getting in a car that you know i actually own and driving it and um, terrific and then you know it's it's a good sort of baseline actually but the right. the car that i've been testing this week has been a renault cadger it's the top of the line it's the intense so it's got the bigger wheels um and you know a, bit, a few more luxuries on board uh, we all experienced yesterday when i picked you up matt and you up jc yeah, um, we went scooting all over town to do a car swap. Um, look, the best thing about the Cadger is the space inside. 
Um, it's based on the Nissan Qashqai, which is the you know yep. a, a, a big small SUV. Um, mm. It's it's got great boot. We managed to you'll see a picture up there in a moment. We managed to fit our new dishwasher in the back of the catcher, which was amazing because I didn't think it was going to go in. <laughs> it must have been um, a pain to didn't... have to take the dishes out to the street <laughs> yeah. to wash them. Or did... Oh, look, it's annoying. It's a hassle. <laughs> but it's but an, it's a what... it's a rare feature in a car. <laughs> I actually had a sink in it just the day before as well. Um, we're doing a bit of a renovation at the moment. Um, yep. So even the kitchen sink, um, good leg room in the back as well, good headroom, um, good storage. Um, that's that's mainly because it's all based on the cash guy, which they've really thought about cabin storage and and and, and spaciousness. Um, things I don't like about the catcher, I'm not a fan of the the dual clutch automatic that's in it. It's a it's a bit. It's nowhere near as. Um, refined actually as the as the dual clutch which is in this this skoda rapid um or, or you know the volkswagens which are currently out uh, another thing is well there's a bit of well there's a lot of turbo lag mm -hmm. so uh you just yes have we experienced that yes you have this delay and then so you've got no acceleration initially and then you've got this like slingshot effect that it catches <laughs> on like about 10 seconds after you needed it and you look like a <laughs> lunatic driving it sometimes All right. um, but <laughs> we, we also noticed we also noticed the odd squeak here and there where we yeah, were look, there were a few reversing rattles. little bumps and things. It's always a little bit of a concern when a brand new car with about 900 kilometers on the clock has a few rattles and bumps because you just know over time they're going to turn into mm. probably, possibly, bigger issues. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, the French, what, the, what, what Renault does really well is they take um, already a, a, a pretty bloody good car from Nissan and they actually make it really good looking. Um, and we've seen that with the Collios. They've managed to turn, you know, you know the X-Trail, which is not too ugly, into something which is stunning in the Collios. And, yeah, um, right. and they've done, they've, yep. I reckon they've pretty much achieved that with the Cadger as well. Um, they know how to do it. Oh, and as well, when you turn the car on, um, uh, there's this little song that comes on and a, and, and a, and a voice which goes, ah, oh. <laughs> and it's, and it's a bit, it's a Fantastic. bit sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's a nice touch. It's very French, huh? very French, but that was the, mm, that yeah. was the, uh, the Renault Cadger. Super. Mm. Fantastic. Um, oh, should also mention though that uh, Kadjar is not long for this, well, well not long for Australia. That's Finishing right. up next year to be replaced by the Arcana, which uh, if you hate coupe style SUVs, you're not going to like it. Like that so. one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, see, uh, you can't get the rapid space back anymore. It's now the Scala. That's yeah, right. that's right. That's right. Nick, mm. Next up's a good one because we all in our own way have experienced uh, these cars. Now, in the immediate past, M4, Matt, you and I shared and swapped cars. Um, yep. Richard, you went to the launch of these cars, so we've, we've all experienced them. One of them, I, I, I really like both of them for what it's worth, but one of them a little more than the other. Um, Matt, tell us, tell us what uh, you drove first. So first, I drove the Audi RS7 Sportback, uh, the new generation version, which is glorious now a little bit of uh, trivia up here behind me uh you'll see a, a sketch by an audi designer it was actually by the designer of the new generation audi a7 so yeah. essentially i have a sketch of the car oh. i was driving this week which is cool mate that's that's your superannuation right there that, yeah i, I was going to say going to appreciate over time and yeah. you are sitting in the pool room too I well see. yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> and, you know, the $7 that I spent on the frame for it yeah. just suggests how much I'm invested in it. It's amazing what, but it's amazing what chemists sell these days, isn't it? <laughs> Frames, key rings, jelly beans. Um, yeah. Yeah. Packets of just black jelly beans. What? Uh, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. that's a thing. Um, right, so, so, yeah, RS7, um, glorious looking car, glorious car to be a part of, be inside of, be driving. It is just so beautiful, but it's just not as cool as the RS6 Avant. No. Like, right. it just isn't. No, yeah. <laughs> it's and not. JC, what did you think? So, well, look, they're both You went great. the other I'm, way. It's the four-litre twin-turbo V8 for a start, which is just like this little nuclear reactor. You drop mm. an isotope in there and the thing <laughs> kind of takes off. Um, Seven-speed Tiptronic and all-wheel drive, of course, with the, the Quattro system. And you're not in the economy part of the market here. Both of no. them are north of 200000 Australian dollars. There's not a lot between them. But 441 kilowatts is plenty of kilowatts. Mm. Um, the, the 800 newton metres as well, in terms of torque, just above 2,000 RPM, it's all there and mm. hangs around mm. for a long time. So it's a classic mm. turbo V8, just so much torque and, and pulling power. Um, it weighs a bit over two tonnes. Um, so they're both up there in around the same weight category, but I just love it. The noise, yeah. the acceleration. Um, Matt and I were talking about it yesterday. Uh, the Alcantara wheel that's on the RS6 is oh. just so great. Uh, uh, Mal, our dear leader, doesn't like it. Richard obviously oh, doesn't. Gross. I, I, I really love like that. I, I love don't it. like it. I feel like I'm... Uh... I don't like it, it at all. The only the only thing I would say about the RS6 is it runs on 22-inch rims and they almost look too big. It's like a Hot Wheels um, car in the packet in the supermarket. They're yeah. just that's, oversized. That's what I reckon. Those back, like those wheels look ridiculous. They're, they're yeah. so, so big. Mm. I've got um, so not a lot between them. parking it. I got so scared. <laughs> I reverse parallel parked the RS6 and I, yeah. I was yeah. a good, you know, 50 centimetres from the away from yes. the, yeah. one, one thing I did notice in photographing the RS7, I noticed it has rear-wheel steering. Richard, do you recall yes. if that's a standard feature on the RS7 or would it that is. be an option? Yeah, it is. It is a standard feature. Uh, what's not standard, though, we had the two different types of RS7. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, RS7s, we had one's got air suspension and that and that is standard and one's got the dynamic suspension, which you've got to option. Right. But, yeah, the four-wheel steering is. It's, so, it's amazing. And it, it does point very nicely. I'm sure yeah. helped in no small part by that four-wheel steering. The mm. one thing I did notice, and it probably just doesn't count for these cars, but between the two of them, the RS7 had like a lighter leather um, seat trim. Very nice, quilted, all of that. Mm. Beautifully executed, as is typically the case with Audi. Yeah. But you could just see where the colour of people's pants or whatever they were wearing was starting yes. to actually come off on the leather. So it would be a constant cleaning That's job. Um, yeah, from memory, you... the RS6 had a darker trim yeah. and was just much more practical. Yeah, and if you're wearing, like, you know, a bikini, like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I do. Like, it's Well, just a mankini. Like a, You've, a mankini. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Absolutely. on that note, no. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> And head to Muskwatch. It's time for Muskwatch. Right, so uh, this week in Musk World Muskwatch, we got a hint that plaid mode, the much talked about plaid mode, um, you might remember, I think, was it a Model S was getting around the Nürburgring yes. uh, last year? Mm. And 
unofficially breaking records and, and knocking the Taycan over and, and all of these things. Well, during the week, Elon tweeted a, a picture um, of a man in a very heavily plaid jacket. And he's saying, uh, one day soon, I will wear this outfit. And it was actually, he says, I was trying to channel Herb Tarlek from WKRP. So WKRP in Cincinnati was a sitcom um, in the States, late 70s, early 80s. And this character was uh, notorious for wearing these big plaid jackets. So that's right. a huge clue that this car is coming soon. Three electric motors, um, track capable, all of that stuff, very, very fast. Isn't it mm. amazing how long the Model S is staying around and yep. how it's like, I might be wrong, but my humble opinion is it's still the best Tesla you can buy. Uh, and I've, I've got to say, I was looking at one in traffic just this week and thinking it is ageing really well. Yeah. Like it's, it still looks contemporary. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with it. But I think in the past, Elon said he's not necessarily thinking about the next generation Model S. He's just moving on to the next model. So yes. when demand yeah. for it dies away, it's okay, it can be retired and we'll mm. just concentrate on what people want. I, I like the way he's pretty agile like that when he was talking about Cybertruck and he's like, oh, you know what? Uh, we didn't consult anybody when we came up for the design for it. We just designed a truck which we thought people would like. And yeah, yeah look, and they said, well, what were you going to do if people didn't like it? And he goes, oh, we'll just build a normal one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we'll just build a truck that that's looks like a normal cool. yeah, that's you know, good. F truck that's or, good. you know. Yeah. Okay. And look, yeah. so speaking of Elon, um, mm. he was at a NASA press conference during the week. And this quote, I think, says a lot. He says, we're going to go to the moon. We're going to have a base on the moon. We're going to send people to Mars and make life multi-planetary. This day heralds a new age of space exploration, <laughs> right? And so you've got lots of adulation on Twitter. Yes. In fact, as usual, borderline worship yes. um, on Twitter, people ready to bow down. Mm. Uh, but Andrew Saturn, which I thought was an interesting uh, really? name. Andrew says, Saturn? I wonder what his rings look like. He was labelled on the clip as chief engineer. So Andrew Saturn says, chief engineer, lol. Not an engineer, which I, which I thought was good. Um, Nina Boudini says, leave the universe alone, exclamation mark. Oh, that's um, good. And I like that. Another person called that tweet that I boned uh, says, I just look at the potholed roads, rusting bridges and corroded copper wire that American internet access relies on, and I laugh bitterly. This isn't space exploration. It's psycho-billionaires dreaming of escaping. And I thought that was a really interesting thought. And one spike in similar vein said, I really hope humans don't make it to Mars. <laughs> this, is, this is my theory too. They'll just destroy another planet the same way they did to Earth. How's this for an idea, Elon? Instead of spending the billions of dollars to achieve the dreams of a few, we spend the money to fix and improve the planet we are on. And uh, my theory is that we are a virus that's just hopping. And the Earth is just the first yes. little cell that we're wrecking and we're going to go out in the cosmos and wreck the whole thing. But that's a really nice segue into a, um, a video that I stumbled across uh, during the week. And it's a guy called Tom Nicholas. He's a British guy. And he has created a video. He, he actually looks like your little nephew. He's, a, he's got a very young kind of look to him. Um, he's provocatively called it the fake futurism of Elon Musk. It's about a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And for anyone interested, I'd really recommend it. Um, and he's trying to answer the question, why are people so enthusiastic about Elon's futuristic dreams? Why has it seemed to capture so many people's imagination? 
He gives him credit for making electric cars cool. There's no doubt that that, that has happened. Ten years ago, they were pretty, you know, unwanted, and Prius. now they're aspirational. Tesla is a very cool kind of statement. Um, and he also credits him for daring to dream and act, you know, on, on his dreams. That's, that's undoubtedly pretty impressive. But he's putting it in context. We, he believes we're in a period of cultural stagnation where things aren't progressing a whole hell of a lot. Music is kind of stagnating and, and all of that. Um, and there's a certain amount of pessimism in terms of global warming and, look, we're headed on a, a bit of a downward path. So people want that kind of inspirational, forward-looking, let's, let's see a positive future mm. kind mm. of thing. You've got political people like um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the left of politics in America, Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, trying to connect with millennials who want to think more positively about the future. So he sees Elon as playing into that, that whole thing, which is an interesting point of view. But he raises the question, Muskian futurism, who's it for? And I hadn't mm. thought about this at all. Mm. But he says you can assume when you're hearing about these ideas and how they're going to develop that he's aiming for this utopian future where everybody benefits. You know, his projects are for everyone. Um, but there's the, the limited capacity of the loop system, for example, that he's been talking about forever and he's going in, in Las Vegas. Um, he says... Look, you can get mass transit, just put a few more trains on, a few more buses, and it'll be far more efficient. But that's not the point. Um, it's actually the limitation. It's a feature. Um, it's mm. where a person with a certain amount of wealth can choose to sidestep a congested road by going yep. on this particular um, thing rather than going on the bus or the train. That's right. And then you think about Mars. Who's going to be going to Mars? It's actually going to be elites, for want of a better word, that want to escape the effects of global warming. Not everybody's mm -hmm. going to be able to go. It's not like a come aboard, it's all free. <laughs> um, and the Cybertruck, he makes the point that when he was talking to Jay Leno and they were driving the Cybertruck, he actually said, we want to be a leader in apocalypse technology. So who can afford that? It's the yeah. people that want to avoid chaos that can afford to buy a Cybertruck. Um, yeah. It's not about logistical viability. It's about rich buggers. And I think <laughs> it's a, a really interesting point of view. And I'd, I'd recommend people give it a watch. Absolutely. Look, I mean, look, when it all comes down to it, um, having a tunnel under a ground that your car then gets, you know, lifted down, you know, into an elevator and then onto a track. Really, we've got those already. They're called trains. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, we, And this it, is the point he's making. Yes, it's not about... Yeah. It's not about efficiency. It's about elitism in a way. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, look, Elon Musk is just a 21st century of Richard Branson, really. Yep. And what these explorers slash philanthropists slash billionaires want to do is make their mark on society and not be forgotten. And yep. so he's just the next sort of stage. Um, yep. and there'll be other Elon Musks who come along. Um, but at, at the same time, they do provide a catalyst, which sort of gets us off our bums and possibly yep. off the planet. Um, yep. But there's a lot of ego involved. And I don't think that there's sort of much thought about whether it's really, really helping the problems here on Earth. That's right. That's mm. right. It's a bit like that example. Oh, what, mm. if, we, what if people don't like the Cybertruck? Oh, we'll just make a normal one. You know, That's they've right. got the, the depth of pockets to do it. But I really thought yeah. it was um, a thought-provoking uh, thing, balancing the, the enthusiasm and the ideas with, hey, you're a billionaire who's about, you know, still making a dollar. Yes. Um, yes. You want to do that. So very interesting. And yep. look, speaking of dollars, the share price... The share price is at 
$1,621 a share. Wow. And it was $1,489 last week. So it's gone up appreciably. Uh, and that was, in fact, the high water mark for the week. Yeah. Um, so what's happening, though, is Tesla is going to split its stock. I wasn't familiar with this, so I did a little bit of digging. Um, and when a share price reaches a certain threshold, typically a company will split the stock so that it's more affordable for retail investors to actually acquire. So it's not as if the, the valuation of the company is any different. The pool of money that's out there held in shares is still the same. It's just you're splitting them up, and in this case, in fifths. So each uh, Tesla share will be split in five. So what you get is a $324 share instead of a $1,621 share. So your mum and dad investors can go, yeah, I can afford a bit of that. And they're encouraged into the stock mm. a little more. Maybe um, they've been listening to us, JC, about all going in on a, yeah. on a share. Just the oh, one no. share. Well, now we, yeah, well, now I'll <laughs> yeah. just want one of myself, thanks. Um, <laughs> what's the small, what's the cheapest one I can buy? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in The Guardian, Patrick Collinson wrote a piece about it and said, look, the total dollar value of a company should remain the same um, compared to the pre-split amount, mm. but logic left the Tesla share price long ago. So <laughs> this, I thought that was a nice yeah. quote. So people are, and that's what's caused the boost, is that people are more encouraged into the stock because it seems more palatable uh, or you know, attainable financially. Is it is it Elon's sort of cult of personality which is driving the, the you know these share prices up? Totally, the, the the brand. Yeah. He is the brand. You know, if well, he is. if you took him out of the Tesla equation, I don't think they'd be anywhere near as appealing for a lot of people. Huh. Isn't it unusual that somebody and this is going to be this is throwing the cat amongst the pigeons here and being controversial that somebody who is like bit of a cult leader doesn't get a lot of criticism but somebody like bill gates who does have billions of dollars but actually just tries to invest it in trying to help people is called oh you're trying to enslave us all i just think it's a bit like guys no yeah. i think the evil villain is the other one one's, <laughs> so a, think... one's a nerd and one's not i mean they're both yeah. they're both nerds but of slightly different stripe that's it oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. but yeah. look on that note i think we have reached the finish line i want to say thank you richard Thank you. And thank you, Matt. Thank you. And thanks to our digital demigod, director of Lightbulb Moments and trigonometry evangelist, Mr. Pritchard, for his production awesomeness. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, ringmaster of the shit show, chicken nugget <laughs> pants, oil can boots. Uh, please, the amazing look for those on YouTube yeah. you'll be able to see. Please pass on the word about the podcast. And let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, if anyone watching or listening is interested, uh, mate of mine selling his DeLorean. Good condition, low Ks, only driven from time to time. Ah! <laughs> well done. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty good one. It's JC. there, you know. I'm not sure what he's asking, but yeah, only driven from time to time. Is, how's the flux capacitor working? Fine. Fine. Plenty of banana skins. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do need those. Yeah. I get all this because I've seen this movie. It's the one movie you've seen. Matt doesn't watch movies. Hey. There you go. That's a bit of inside information for you. What other movies have you seen, Matt? Uh, Waterworld. Oh, God. <laughs> no wonder you stopped watching movies. 